0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. I'm here at Devox in San Jose, and the sun is actually shining now, which is quite nice, although we're inside. And I'm sitting with Cedric Boost uh, from TestNG fame, Cobalt fame, and many other fames. Hi, Cedric. Hi, Hedy. And how are you doing? I'm doing great today, thank you. I know that I invited you on this uh, show to talk a little bit about Cobalt, which we'll get to, but I would really like to know a little bit more about your background. And because you've done so many different things, right? I mean, you started with, um, you've done, you've been involved in Android, you've done TestNG, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure, I'll try to keep that short. Um, I was born in France, grew up in France, and I moved to Silicon Valley uh, about 20 years ago. So I've been here for uh, quite a bit now. And um, uh, I've been very lucky to work in places that uh, were very interesting. And um, I would say the first one that was really good to me um, i started by working at sun and then worked at ba on web logic uh, and then worked at google and uh, at google i got some chance to work on back ends then i got a little bit bored there and i decided that i wanted to do something different so i looked around and um, and i found this mobile department at google which had five people so that was in 2005 so there was no one there uh, Google was just beginning to decide that they wanted to do something in the mobile area. But of course, you know, nobody knew what to do. So I said, hey, I'm going to learn about mobile software. So I joined the team and uh, we started stuffing up. And, uh, and of course, the first thing we needed to do there is, all right, what are we going to do? So each of us looked around and I found Gmail and I thought, hey, I'm going to try to write Gmail for mobile phones. Uh, so just remember, this is 2005, right? This is way before Android. We're not talking, you know, smartphones. We're talking feature phones. The uh, the Nokia candy bar, the the StarTac, you know, all these phones that were running uh, very antiquated, slow Java ME. Uh, it was called J2ME still at the time.
0: Was that during the WAP, the WAP times?
1: That was, yeah. That was the, we were kind of transitioning uh, after the WAP. But yeah, the few years before that, I was using WAP on my phone. So yes, you're, you're right in there. Um, so little did I know what I was getting myself into um, but you know, it felt like a challenge and it certainly was. So we started uh, working on Gmail, uh, started that project by myself and uh, within a year and a half was running a team of about 20-30 people for Gmail uh, and at that time we managed to ship uh, Gmail on feature phones uh, and it ran on about 300 devices when we shipped and so that was quite an achievement I thought and uh, the UI looked pretty good uh, even on those very tiny screens. Uh, It worked fine, and so I was pretty happy with it. Um, So we started working on the next version, and it's about at that time that the Android acquisition happened. So Google acquired Android. Andy Rubin came on board with his team, and um, Andy reached out to me, came to see me, and he said, "Uh, this is what I'm doing. I'm writing a mobile operating system. I have a small team of people. we, uh, we think that this uh, operating system should be based on Java. Uh, the problem is that none of the people that I have on my team know Java, but we all agree it should be written in Java. So first of all, we need Java experts. Second, we need Gmail. And third, we need someone who is familiar with the Java uh, ecosystem and APIs, and who can come up with you know, APIs that will look familiar for Java developers, and who can also create tools that Java developers will feel very comfortable with. Uh, so, of course, I, I didn't need to be convinced, I said, <laughs> where, where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. And so I started working on Android. Um, at first, I was, doing, I was involved on both the, uh, the foundation of the operating system and Gmail, and working on both in lockstep. Uh, and then the team you know, grew up you know, very, very quickly. You know, we, we grew to hundreds of people within you know, just a matter of years. And, uh, and as that happened, I focused more and more uh, on the Gmail part. So I worked on Gmail Android for uh, about four years until 2010, where I decided to uh, leave Google and try to start new adventures. And where are you now? I'm currently working for a, a large Chinese company that you've probably not heard of, um, but they're trying to uh, settle here in the US, and I'm running engineering for them. Where did TestNG come into the picture? So TestNG was uh, at the, between... I think I started working on it in 2003, and I released the first version in 2004. And uh, at the time, I was working at BEA, and that's where I transitioned to Google. Um, and uh, it, TestNG was born out of uh, a little bit of frustration that I felt with uh, the JUnit at the time. Um, the the situation as I saw it was that uh, the Java ecosystem was growing extremely fast, and WebLogic was you know, a big part of that, WebLogic server. But there were plenty of other big and you know, large stack software that was being developed. Um, and I felt that the JUnit was not scaling up with it first of all because nobody was working on it anymore uh, I think you know development had stopped and it had been stuck in JUnit 3 for four years and so we had to uh, use this software to test this you know increasingly complex applications and frameworks and uh, and the more you know years passed and the more I felt that JUnit was inadequate for the task. So at first, I, I tried to change it, I tried to patch it, I submitted pull requests. Well, there were not pull requests at the time, we were not using Git, but you get the idea. But there was really no one on the other end of the line, so there was no one who was willing to work on it. So I decided, hey, well, I'm going to uh, see if I can write my own. Um, and at the time, I was also part of the uh, the JCP, uh, and I was working on two JSRs. One of them was uh, annotations for Java 5. Yeah. And so I put all these things together in my head. You know, a, unit, a testing framework. We could use annotations instead of using the silly reflection. And I had all kinds of other ideas to enable more of uh, integration testing than unit testing. Things like running tests in parallel or having groups of tests so that I can decide what subset of tests I want to run. So all these ideas came together. And so in 2004-ish, I think I released the first version of TestNG. More as, a, as an experiment, I really wanted to put this out there to see, hey, you know, we have this new JSR that's coming up. This is what we could do. This is what I think and what JUnit should look like. So hopefully someone on the JUnit team will see that and we'll pick it up and, and improve JUnit to make it so. And I pretty much left it at that. I thought, all right, I'm done here. Now I'm going to start working on something else.
0: And of course, I think with uh, coming on to Cobalt, uh, which is a build system written in Kotlin. You, It was kind of a little bit the same motivation. It was you suffering issues that you were having with existing build systems. Is that how that came about? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I started realizing that there is a pattern
1: in, in how I work. and. Um, This is exactly what happened with the build system. So um, I've been interested uh, in build systems forever because, you know, build systems are are part of the daily routine of an engineer. Uh, And I think engineers need to know how their tools work. It's something that I've observed, by the way, that very few engineers actually have this interest in trying to really dissect and understand how their tools work to become more uh, productive. Uh, but I have this uh, attention to details and I, I like to understand how things work. Uh, with Java, I went through the whole spectrum of build tools and you know, we started with Make and then Ant came about and then Maven came about and then Gradle came about. Uh, and with each of them, I was excited because you know I felt that each of them brought something to the table, was fixing real issues uh, and was going in the right direction. But of course, honeymoons never really last forever. Uh, no tools can sustain you know, the the, uh, the test of time like this. And after a little while, depending how good the tool is, you become either completely frustrated with it or you learn to deal with its limits and you just work around it. Um, so I, I went through all these phases with Gradle. I was a very early adopter of Gradle. I thought it was fantastic. It was everything I had ever dreamed of that I wanted in a build system, which is... It needs to be declarative mostly, but you know once in a while, for 10% of the cases, I want to be able to write some code there. I want to be able to reuse mechanisms like inheritance and things like that, or writing small expressions, uh, if else, that kind of thing, which Maven didn't let me do, which Ant didn't really let me do, and Gradle let me do that. So I was very excited about this, and you know Gradle worked fine for many many years. But as the years went by, I grew frustrated uh, with quite a few of the. Uh, the aspects that it forced on me. And despite all my efforts at understanding it, at reading the uh, enormous documentation, the uh, 80 chapter documentation (laughs) that they have. (laughs) Uh, Despite that, I realized that whenever I needed to make a change to my build file, uh, I wasn't going to the documentation. I was going to Stack Overflow. I was copy-pasting snippets of code that I did not understand. I pasted them in my build file, I tweaked them, and then I moved on as soon as it worked because I just couldn't understand
0: it. So that was with the mo- basic motivation. Was it around understanding, or was it because of um, too much overwhelming amount of like knowledge that you would need to be able to tweak your builds? Or-
1: so yeah, so tweakability is there. I just found it. I just found I could never wrap my head around it. I I could never really understand it, and, and that bothered me. I, I felt that I really I really should be able to master that tool after using it for six or seven years, and I couldn't. Um, I also found that simple tasks or tasks that I think should be simple, such as all right, now I want to upload my you know binary or my jar files to Maven Central or Jsender. and just to do this simple publishing task. Uh, required me to you know, add 50 lines of Gradle that I didn't quite understand or create a new published.gradle file uh, and then add a lot of boilerplate there. Um, I was also very unhappy with the extra syntax that didn't quite make sense for me. So, But, you know, I dealt with this for many years and I was okay with it, just, you know, grinding my teeth a little bit, not really liking it. Um, but at some point I hit a threshold. Um, and it's also when several ideas coalesced in my mind and Kotlin was a big uh, part of this. Uh, I've been using Kotlin for a very long time actually. Before this podcast I looked up my blog and I realized the first post that I wrote about Kotlin was in 2011. So I've been interested in Kotlin for a while but suddenly it crystallized to me that all right I have this built situation that I don't like. I have Kotlin that I'm looking for an excuse to write more code in. There you go. Let's do it together and let's see where it goes
0: and you know i wrote a blog post many many years ago it was called um, build make no more or something like that right and this came through frustration from my side because i was i i have a you know i have a website with a template which is i grab from somewhere off the internet and it's using uh, markdown with jekyll and then it's using sass i believe for the css and i wanted to literally like move some text a little bit to the right and i had grunt which is a build system in javascript and it was like you know it was it was worse than maven i had to pull down half of the internet to tweak one little thing and i had to sit through and understand grunt uh how sass works and all of these things and then opening okay for sass forget about it it's just a you know it'll convert it'll transpile to scss but I looked at and I'm like, what the hell? Like, where did we go wrong, you know? Like, this is just make over and over again in different flavors with, yes, there is a little bit of an evolution. And that frustration led to this blog post, which was like, stop reinventing make over and over again, right? And my feeling was that build tools, they need to be declarative, as you say. But I feel like we've been using, we're not using sometimes enough of the whole concept of convention over configuration, right? We are like, it's declarative, but we're kind of like, it's either too obscure what that convention is, so it's not easy for people to understand that are not familiar with it. But there's many things that we can leverage that we're not leveraging. Because if you look at how we build software, a lot of times it's always following the same pattern. and so you know i wrote this post and i said really stop and people are like you know why are you saying that we shouldn't make any more build tools and stuff like that and it was funny because uh, i was speaking to Ilya uh, Reshinkov, my colleague and he's like we should write a build tool in um in in, in kotlin and i'm like no i'm not getting anywhere near that right and then when and then like you know two months or three months after that cobalt came around right and i think that the, the reason I mention this is because Cobalt isn't just a flavor of, um, so to speak, Gradle using Kotlin. No, it, it's more. You're trying to add more things to it.
1: Yes, I I wanted to see what it's like if I could create a build tool from scratch with no legacy. Uh, and that's the point. That's the, uh, the privilege that I have writing something from scratch. I don't need to uh, have all these previous you know, code bases or respect all these build tools that exist. I can start from scratch and um, putting the the spotlight on things that I think are important today. Uh, one of those is publishing things to you know, J JCenter or Maven Central. Um, and I think the uh, the build file should reflect that because even if you're not that interested in it, this is how we publish. This is one of the big additions that Maven brought and that we're going to live with for the next 20 years. It's Maven Central, uh, the, the the repo format, the uh, artifactory kind of thing. Uh, this is fantastic. Uh, it's going to stay for a, a very long time with us regardless of the build tool you use. So uh, I, first of all, I thought the, the build file should be articulated around this you whenever you create a new project or a new module you're going to specify things that make it easy for you to publish if you need to the group the name the version and that's it and the build tool should make this straightforward you're done you have a first build boom you can up- upload all your artifacts on maven central and ask and tell people how you can use it so that was the the first thing that was really important to me because I do this all the time uh, Recently, I converted a, a Maven project that had eight sub-projects in it and that was doing some publishing to a, a, a repo already. And I wanted to make a few changes, like it was publishing to the wrong repo and I wanted to add a few Maven tags and things like that. And instead of just modifying the, uh, the pom.xml that was there, I just decided I'm just going to write a cobalt buildify because it's more comfortable to me now within 20 minutes I had it and within 21 minutes I was publishing with that week and I'm sure it would have taken me longer to modify the Maven uh, report so that, that was the main goal and I had also a few other design goals in mind but
0: if you're using Kotlin or planning to make sure you check out KotlinConf, a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017 It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts, with keynotes from Andrei Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, Kotlin Conf is the place to be this year. That's KotlinConf, C-O-N-F.com. Hope to see you there. If I want to use Cobalt, what is the model there i mean you, you mentioned that you know you're basing it as around the central idea that whatever i do is i want to publish mm-hmm. but how does that fit in with a, a typical project like if i you know when i go to intellij or i do use the command line to create a build script with gradle or maven how does how does that start in in cobalt what is the model
1: so there, there are several ways you can start. Uh, you can So first of all, it's heavily inspired from a, a lot of the good ideas that Gradle brought. Uh, first is the, the declarative syntax, uh, which you know, Kotlin makes very easy with the DSL and the TypeSafe builder. So the syntax are using the familiar open brace and, and function calls and things like that. Um, and another thing also is that I completely stole the idea of self-updates uh, using a wrapper and things like that. So once you have Cobalt installed, it will self-update, or at least it will notify you whenever there is a new version. You can update it with just you know, a single you know, command line, and you can have each project using their own different version. Uh, so anyone who's familiar with all these aspects of Gradle will be you know, right at home with Cobalt because it follows the exact same ideas. These, these were absolutely great. <laughs> And the way you start uh, with uh, Cobalt, either you download a zip file, uh, and from that on it's bootstraps. You no longer need to download that ever. Like I said, it will self-update. Or you can create an IntelliJ project, and uh, it will detect that you have a Cobalt build file, and it will sync in very much the same way that Gradle does. So uh, the uh, IntelliJ plugin is written by someone uh, separate who uh, was, has done a fantastic job uh, integrating the whole thing. So overall, I think it's uh, it's still pretty smooth. It's still very, very familiar to anyone who is using Gradle. Uh, very well integrated with IntelliJ, uh, not Eclipse yet. Though
0: but it still follows the same model of like, I've got some source files that I need to compile. This is using the Java compiler. This is using the Kotlin compiler. All of that is familiar, right? It's the same model.
1: There. Yes, it is multi-language. Uh, you just uh, And like you said, it uses a lot of default. So y- your smallest project definition is really just three or four lines where you de- where you define the group ID, the name, the version. And if you're using the standard uh, layout, either with the source main Java or source main Kotlin or source test Kotlin, now all these things by default will be recognized. So the smallest build file that you can have will have five lines uh, and three imports that, that's about it and you can build right away um, Cobalt will also detect multi-language it compiles Groovy Java and Kotlin uh, again you don't need to tell it it will figure it out by itself it will figure out the right ordering or what the dependencies are uh, recently I did Kotlin incremental compilation uh, which you know has been really uh, very very well, uh, very well received um, and also something else that uh, was a bit of a pain point for me with Gradle is uh, when you have multiple projects uh, and they depend on each other. Uh, you have, let's say, one core project, one library project, and then your main application that depends on these two things. Uh, this is a pretty standard configuration, um, more complicated projects like the Kotlin compiler, of course, have a whole dependency graph. But uh, I've always felt that the way Gradle handles this with the settings.gradle and including projects and all that is makes it hard to figure out which is where Uh, and so i try to uh, do better here so that you can look at one build file and see right away which one depends on which and from that point cobalt will build them in the correct order and it will also build in parallel which is something that is also not very common in build files Uh, i know gradle maven and don't do it Uh, there are other build systems like buck and others that do this but a cobalt by default will build everything in parallel it will look at your whole graph of projects and determine which ones can be built at which time. And dynamically, it will decide. You know, as the projects stop compiling and get done, then it will notice. Okay, now I can compile these ones, and it will do this all in parallel. And sometimes, you know, winning 40, 50 percent build time. Uh, Cobalt will tell you at the end. By the way, I built in you know two minutes, and building this sequentially would have taken three minutes and a half, something like this. So you can have a pretty good idea of you know the the time saved by this kind of thing.
0: Is a script file or is it like a Kotlin project, so to speak, or is it a KT file? No, it is
1: a KT file right now. It's called build.kt because uh, I started doing this way before scripting was available. Uh, so it's really a, a genuine... Uh, Kotlin file that you know, the uh, uh, IntelliJ will load. You know, If you synchronize, if you use the uh, COBOL plugin uh, and you import your COBOL project, your build.kt is just a standard Kotlin file, so you get all the completion, highlight, and uh, even refactoring and things like that that you have for any Kotlin file. No difference there. But I've kept uh, a close eye on the, uh, the KTS or the scripting uh, initiative, and I've actually ported that same model to scripting, but so far it's still sitting in a separate branch because I haven't seen uh, a lot of added value yet, uh, because I think the scripting is still a work in progress. I I will definitely switch to this at some point, but there are still a few things that are being sorted out in the scripting environment, uh, such as dependencies and how you could download things that your build file might depend on. Um, And I want to make sure also that the compilation uh, speed would be worth it. Uh, Right now, Kotlin compilation can be a bit slow compared to what we're used to in Java, but it's still an extra two or three seconds for the whole compiler to warm up and after that it's, it's pretty quick uh, and scripting doesn't really change that much i was a bit surprised by that so i but i'm keeping a close eye on this i regularly run the branch and I, i'm in touch with all the uh, the people on jade who are working on scripting and uh, i keep trying it as new versions come i think eventually i will probably support both I know either it will be a build.kt or a build.kts but there is the two are so similar that there is no reason
0: and from a user perspective, it doesn't make that much of a difference, right? Um, in terms of invocation of the build.
1: Right, just the, the syntax uh, might change a little bit because now the fact that it's a .kt means that there are a few constraints on what you can put. Uh, you yes. cannot have an, a, 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 a function call in the middle right there. Uh, but the extra syntactic noise required to make it a real Kotlin file is really minimal, and nobody really complains about this. It's just you declare... Valves everywhere, and that's how your build file is.
0: And when you said earlier that in when I open the build file, I can kind of get a bird's eye view of the different dependencies and relationships between these projects, I'm assuming that that does not limit you to the fact that if I want to have my projects in multiple build sorry, in multiple um, KT files, that is possible, right? I just um, uh,
1: not I'm, at the moment, but yeah, it's very easy to implement. I just haven't, you know, felt the need right now. I've had other uh, priorities, but uh, I started first having one build file for all your projects as just an easy way to get started. Uh, And I thought I'm going to go to multiple build files very soon. And but so far, I've felt that I haven't really felt the need for this and that having everything in one build file was actually very convenient. But I'm totally, you know, decide uh, I will do this. And very soon you'll be able to have build files under the correct directory. Uh, But you'd be surprised at how initially you feel that you need this, that it makes things more modular and more isolated. Uh, But now I'm beginning to think that having this one build file at the top where I can have an overview by just looking at one file of how all my projects fit together, how to share variables and constants and things like that, is actually pretty, pretty powerful and with not as many drawbacks as I thought.
0: Is there plans or does it support Kotlin targeting JavaScript?
1: I haven't, no, I haven't uh, looked at that. I don't suppose it would be very hard because I'm already, you know, calling the compiler, the Kotlin compiler internally at the API level. Uh, I don't expect that would be very difficult. Uh, it was pretty easy for me to switch from the regular compiler to the incremental compiler. Uh, I think supporting the extra backend would be pretty easy. Um, just uh, nobody has requested it so far, but I don't envision it would be very hard to add this.
0: Okay, the reason I asked that because one of the things that we're kind of encountering and we're trying to solve a little bit ourselves uh is you know in the javascript world they use a completely different systems for building that right so as a java developer if you're using kotlin to target the jvm and javascript at the same time which is one of the value added propositions here that you know i can share code base and target two different systems you're used to gradle you can get used to cobalt you can you get used to maven to kind of do these things uh but from someone coming from the JavaScript perspective or the ecosystem, they're not familiar with the concept of, you know, a Maven dependency and stuff like that. I mean, they've got the equivalent thing there. And so, you know, it is that aspect of, I need the JVM to be able to run uh, build scripts in that sense. Um, And so, yeah, so when you are trying to kind of configure targeting two backends, I think the, the experience should definitely be smoother. And I think that at JetBrains, we need to also focus on trying to improve that. So I was curious if you're doing anything or have plans anywhere. In I that
1: definitely day. plan to do it. I think the, uh, the best way that Cobalt has advanced so far is by people sending me a link to their uh, project and say, hey, can you convert this to Cobalt for me? Uh, and I look at it and uh, either it's straightforward and within five minutes it's done, or I realize that they're using things that are not quite supported by Cobalt yet, I edit, and then I get back to them and say now it's done. So same thing here, I, I just haven't received anyone sending me a JavaScript-based project or a Kotlin JavaScript-based project, but you know, if you have one around, say, hey, can, can you build it with Cobalt? By all means, send it over, I'll take a look and you know, it will be a good way to you know, improve Cobalt. Um, and I totally feel your pain about what you were saying earlier and the JavaScript things. and. Um, I don't have a problem writing JavaScript. It's not my favorite language, but I'm pretty comfortable. I don't you know, recoil in horror, and I don't have all these you know, choice words to, to say how much I hate JavaScript. It's not what I hate. What I dislike with JavaScript is the ecosystem surrounding it. Uh, I, I don't really like reading that, and I want to install a new framework, and then, I, all right, it's NPM, and, uh, or I'm going to have uh, to run Grunt, or I'm going to have to run something, because in my experience, none of these has ever worked seamlessly. Every time I've had to deal with one of those, I've had to do some yak shaving to understand why things were failing, because some you know, header files were missing on my OS or my Windows machine or anything like that. It's never been transparent. so. We have it very easy on the JVM, and we're lucky. Uh, Whether it's Ant, and more recently Maven and Gradle, we have a build system that is very solid, a dependency system that works, while a lot of the other languages, and Go, and Rust, and Cargo, and all these things, they're still trying to figure this out and reinvent things that are pretty much solved by our build systems on the JVM.
0: Yeah, and, and my issue is the same. I mean, I don't mind JavaScript as a language. I, I have a preference for static typing. But one of the things that actually attracted me to Kotlin was that it was quite concise and nice in regard to, you know, comparing to JavaScript, right? But it is that ecosystem. And I really feel that in the, in the JavaScript community, it's like as soon as a minor issue is encountered, they try and reinvent things or redo things introducing more complexity and not taking a step back and saying, did I solve the problem or did I make it even more complex? And coming back to Cobalt, you've recently hit 1.0. I remember when you heard about the announcement, uh, around Gradle adopting Kotlin, your first message on the Slack channel was, well, my job is done, right? And I that like stuck with me in my in my in my head, and I was really really happy because this was like six eight a year ago or so, and I'm I was really happy when Cobalt 1.0 was released because I really didn't want that f- to be uh, demotivated or for you to kind of say well you know this was quite similar i um, mean it you know because a lot of people were interpreting cobalt as simply just a uh, kotlin being used for gradle but as you mentioned and as we've talked about it's it's a lot more because you've taken a lot of good things from these build systems you've combined them you've added value to it so i was really happy that you've continued this right and you've just re- recently released 1.0 so you are continuing cobalt right moving forward Absolutely, I'm I'm working on it pretty much you know
1: daily-ish, uh, depending on the, the the free time that I have. But yes, uh, I keep releasing minor versions all the time. I have plenty of other ideas and features and things like that. Uh, some are inspired from Gradle, others are inspired from other build systems, and others are just come up with so um, I'm doing this as long as I'm having fun as long as I feel that I'm coming up with things that might be useful and that uh, there are users around here who have compatible ideas with mine with respect to what a build tool should look like but you know even users is not really my number one driver even if it was just for me just to learn just as an excuse to write more kotlin to learn more about build system to learn more about the language and to solidify certain ideas and experiment with new libraries and new techniques of writing code as long as i have this i'm going to keep working on it um, and helping supporting users if they need me to but it's uh it's nice to have but it's not a requirement and it also provides a plug-in model? Yes, uh, actually, yeah, it's good to mention this, because that was also one of my uh, pet peeves with All is that I, I couldn't write my head around plugins. Um I've worked and written plugins for a very long time. I'm familiar with this. I started in in Emacs and writing Emacs Emacs Lisp plugins, learning the Emacs API and things like that. I've written quite a few Eclipse plugins. Uh, I I wrote probably for the first two or three years, I was the only one writing the TestNG Eclipse plugin until a few people took over. So uh, I'm used to that. I'm used to reading an API of a framework and being able to plug into it and understand this. That is not a problem to me. But it was a problem with Gradle. I thought I I have written a few Gradle plugins and there are a lot of things that I didn't feel very intuitive to me. Uh, The fact that you have to modify internal APIs, internal structures of Gradle to get things done. Uh, You get things done this way, it works, but it didn't feel very clean and felt like I couldn't really wrap my head around it. So one of my goals with Cobalt was to flip this around and get inspiration from both the Eclipse API and the IntelliJ API with extension points and I want to these to be exposed explicitly. Uh, users can only use that. They're not allowed to go inside the internal structures of Cobalt. And once they uh, extend these extension points, everything is statically typed, and it's extremely predictable. You know exactly when your thing is going to be called at which point and what we're gonna do with it, uh, but you, you don't get to change the internal structures. So the uh, the upside of this is that it's extremely structured; it's extremely easy to document. Uh, all the docu- all the extension points are there with a you know, fully statically typed API. The downside is that. The bottleneck is how many extension points there are. Uh, if if you want to do something and I haven't exposed an extension point for it, well, right now you can't do it until I add this. So this is why Gradle has thrived because at first it didn't really provide much of a plugin API. It just said, here, here is this is a big groovy ball and you can have access to all the fields in there, have fun. Uh, and it took off because everybody started doing a lot of things with it. Uh, I'm trying a, a slightly different, more conservative approach and trying to make sure that I can document exactly what the extension points are. It's worked with Eclipse. It works with IntelliJ. We'll see if it works with Cobalt. But so far, I've had quite a few people who've written plugins, and, um, and it's worked well
0: for them. If I want to start using Cobalt, right now, let's say I've got a greater project or I've got a Maven project or IntelliJ or whatever project, What's the best place? Like, how, apart from calling you and saying, you know, Cedric, can you convert this to, um, to a cobalt build? What is the best place to How do I start?
1: Yeah, so there is a, uh, an extensive documentation at uh, bus.com slash cobalt. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to secure a, a cobalt.io or cobalt.com or cobalt.org, but I'm keeping an eye on some cobalt domains. But so far, I haven't been able to grab the one I wanted. So uh, right now, it's still hosted under my personal website, or you can just uh, Google it, first of all k-o-b-a-l-t and uh, and I think the documentation is very extensive in how to get started how to install it and then how to use it and, and then further if you want to go into plugin development and everything um, there are some uh, embryos I would say of uh, migration support for from maven uh, if you try to create a couple project and you already have a pom.xml. Uh, you'll find some good defaults and some things carried over. It's going to read your, your pom.xml and, and uh, import some of the stuff in your the build.kt, the cobalt build file. Not from Gradle, though, that's a bit harder to parse. Uh, but this is also very, very tiny right now. There is a lot more that we could do, but so far, no, the bandwidth has been limited.
0: Okay, and then, of course, you've, there's the Slack channel that you mentioned, so if they run into issues, they can always ping you there, right?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, there is, so on the Kotlin Lang Slack, there is a sharp cobalt. Um, channel there um, there are discussions on a daily basis and uh, a lot of things happen also of course on the github and uh, the pull requests and issues where people file uh, and comment there oh,
0: cool well it's been fantastic talking to you cedric and um, i'm definitely sure that you're going to come on later on to talk about different things so once again thank you very much for taking the time
1: thank you very much for having me Hadi. it was a pleasure